Well, let me invite you to turn in your worship guide to page 8. Uh, if you don't have a worship guide, uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles or in a Bible app to the book of John, Gospel of John, I'm going to be reading from John chapter 4. I'm going to be reading from the NRSV version, so if you do have a physical Bible, this might be a little bit different of a version than you have. That's okay. If you have a Bible app, you can probably find this on your app, um, and if not, be close enough uh, to what you have. But would you listen now with open ears as I read these words? From the book that we love. This is John chapter 4, verse 1 through verse 42. Hear now these words. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks from, of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water I will give them will never be thirsty. The water I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then, his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? 
They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more and then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed in his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to this time and we sit under these words, and I recognize that uh, in a room this size... Uh, together with our, our friends outside and joining online, I recognize we come from all kinds of different places. Some of us come here and uh, our lives are filled with blessing. Others of us come here and our lives feel as though they are a complete mess. Lord, some of us come here and we are filled with hope and trust and joy in you. And others of us come here and we're not sure what we think of you. We're not sure if you're real uh, and if you are, if you're good. Lord, some of us come here and uh, our bodies are healthy. Others of us come here and uh, we are in a lot of pain. Some of us come here in the depths even of despair. Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in, whether we are here in sickness or in health, whether we are here in joy or in sadness, whether we are here in faith or in doubt, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we do all ultimately come the same an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, to be changed by you. Give us grace, open our eyes, show us how you are at work in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. It's great to be with you today for this special, what we call our covenant entrance service. Uh, my name is Darren. I do serve as one of the pastors, and I do have for you uh, what I hope will be a sermonette for you this morning. Uh, on our covenant entrance days, we do have a full sermon. We have what is intended to be a sermonette, which is a shorter sermon. We'll see if I'm successful at that or not. Um, I was, it's not really a good sign when you um, are attempting to orchestrate a service and one of your um, elders who oversees you challenges you before you even preach the sermon. Is not a good sign, just friends, when someone who oversees you, who basically approves your salary, says, why did you choose such a long passage for a day with so many things going on? <laughs> not a good sign at all, right? So why did I do that? Well, uh, simply because I feel like this passage is worth it for you, right? This is a service where we're cutting out songs, where I'm going to preach less Lots of shrinking we're trying to have going on here. But I feel like the, the message contained in the, in the entirety of this passage 
is important for you, and it's important particularly for you know, folks that are participating in the events today, uh, particularly those uh, children who are receiving the covenant sign of baptism, uh, those kids who are taking their vows as they're being admitted to the Lord's Supper, uh, the families who will be raising them, all of you members of the church who will be also taking vows to partner with families uh, in the raising of these kids, right? If we're going to enter into covenant, which is what we are doing today, by the way, right? We're all members of this church entering into covenant. If we're going to do that, uh, we need guidance. And this passage is one that I in particular appreciate and is on my heart uh, as it pertains to the events of today. So I'm excited about this today, and I hope that uh, gives you something to um, appreciate. So there's a lot of angles through which to consider this passage. Uh, I've preached this actually a number of times. There's a lot of different angles to consider it. We've considered it from the issue of racial issues, right? So here's a woman. She's from a country called Samaria, right? We've considered this from racial tension. We've considered it from gender issues, right? So that will be brought up in this passage. I want to consider it, however, from the issue of shame, okay? This is an issue that's close to my heart for you because I'll tell you that since this church was founded, there's probably not been an issue that's risen to the surface more in my ministry, right? More frequently in my ministry than the issue of shame. I've seen this issue done more wreckage in the lives of people and as I think about these kids receiving this covenant sign and moving forward, as I think about you and what's holding you back more often than not, as I think about the joy of God and the blessing of God and what it means for you and how you interact with it or don't interact with it, one of the things that holds you back more often than not is the issue of shame. Now, I'm going to be quoting extensively from a book that We'll actually be giving you a link to if you're subscribed to our Iron Bot. So hopefully you are. Um, if, you, if you haven't yet, it's a little bit too late for today. You can email me and I'll send out the link to you. It's called Shame Interrupted by a man named Ed Welch. Okay, so I'll be quoting extensively from this uh, for you today. If, you, uh, if you'd like a link to that, I'm happy to provide that to you over email. Tremendously helpful resource. Now, the question that I'm asking is, how does shame keep you from experiencing the fullness of God's blessing? How does shame keep you from experiencing the fullness of God's blessing? And how does that connect to what it is that we're doing here today? Uh, let's get into it together. So here's this woman, and what is going on here? Jesus is on the run, as it were, from the people that ultimately will execute him right? The Pharisees hear that he's gaining more traction than John is, right? What does that mean? He's becoming a threat, okay? So he's got to be on the run. He's got to be moving away from the religious people because these are the same people that will ultimately be successful in executing him. So he goes through the land of Samaria. Now, it's significant because if you were a really religious person, Right? If you were a super religious person, you would go around the land of Samaria because you thought of these people as unclean. That's the racial angle. We're not going to talk about, a lot about that today. But that's what would normally have happened. Jesus doesn't do that. He goes through the land of Samaria. 
right? And that'll be, that's again, topic for another sermon, but it is uh, definitely an overtone in this issue. So he goes through the land of Samaria. The woman comes, and what happens? She's coming to draw water. Back in that day, if you wanted clean drinking water, you went to a well. Women would usually, this was a very communal event, you would go together with your friends, with your family, with people together to draw water. That is not the case for her. She's alone. Why? Because she's an outcast. Because she is wearing the scarlet letter of her sin, her choices, her failure on her chest. Right? She comes alone to draw water. Why? Because she's the outcast. Because she doesn't she doesn't want to be around people is the most likely explanation and answer for what's going on. So she comes alone. She encounters Jesus. He asks her for water, right? She's stunned for two reasons, right? Number one, you know, religious people weren't supposed to talk to Samaritans. He's doing, he's breaking that rule. Number two, religious Jewish people weren't supposed to talk to women. He's breaking that rule. He apparently doesn't give a whole lot of attention to the rules of his day. Appreciate that about him right? He's just going right in for uh, doing, doing what he's doing here, and he engages her, and she's asking these questions. She's like, you know, who are you, and why are you doing this? And he asks what, for me, is the main question of this sermon, and the question that I really want to put at the center for you guys in general, and then especially for these kids who are coming to the Lord's table and are receiving the sign of, of baptism today. And this is the question that Jesus asks this woman, and I want this to land on you as hard as possible today. Right? This is, I think, the pastoral concern that overrides everything else today, and I want this to hit you as hard as possible. This is what he says to her. He says, you know, you're asking about why I'm breaking these cultural norms. Fine. You can ask me about that. He says, however, if you knew who I was, who I am, if you understood my identity, you would be asking me for something else, right? If you knew who I am, you would ask me for living water, right? You would ask me to satisfy you because I have the ability to satisfy you deeply and richly and in such a way that you will never thirst again. That is what he says to her. Okay? He says, if you actually understood my identity, then you would be asking me to satisfy you. Right? That's what, a very, very simple statement. And friends, I just want to lay out the pastoral concern for you this morning. Right? It's, it's, not, it's not terribly complicated, it's actually very simple. When is the last time you prayed like that? When is the last time you said to the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to satisfy me deeply, right? We can, we can look at this woman and we can criticize some things about her, right? But yet, I know what you pray for. You tell me what you pray for, okay? <laughs> I pray with you a lot. I know what I pray for. And we are slow to follow the counsel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, if you understood my identity, then your prayers would be, oh Christ, would you, sat it, would you give me this living water through which 
I could be richly and deeply satisfied, right? There's something that holds us back from seeking that and from praying for it. There's something that holds us back. What is it? What is it that holds us back? Well, this passage will give us a little bit of insight into that. Glad you asked, right? I know exactly what holds us back. So the woman does ask him, doesn't she? She says, fair enough. Sir, give me this water. I don't really like coming here to drink. I'd rather not come here to drink. Okay, that would be great. And what does Jesus say to her? He says, go, call your husband and come back. And then she says, well, I have no husband, right? What is Jesus doing here? Why does he tell her to go call her husband? Why doesn't he just give her the... He says, look, if you knew who I was, you'd ask and I'd give. And it seems like he's kind of conning her around. He's he's playing with her a little bit, it seems like, right? You said if I asked, you'd give. Why are you bringing up my failed marriages, plural, and my current not-so-marriage, right? Why are you bringing this up? Well, there's a very simple reason why Jesus is bringing it up, right? Very simple principle here that was at work in this passage, and is at work in your life, and is at work in my life, which is that the blessing that Jesus Christ is offering this woman and the blessing that he is offering these kids who are receiving this sign and the blessing that he is looking to communicate through these kids who will be coming to the table as they come in faith and take this sacrament and the blessing that he offers to you and I, right, where he promises us this deep satisfaction, guess what? It runs straight through your sin. Okay? It, it runs straight. You, you want to you change the subject on God and be like, yeah, I really want this deep satisfaction. It's like, okay, Darren, let's talk about your greed. Okay, Darren, let's talk about how you failed as a parent. And I'm like, oh, can we like change the subject here? Right, what does she do? Well, she's, she's very skilled. She does the same thing that you do. She changes the subject. She's like, oh, you're going to bring up my shame? You're going to go there? Well, I'll do one better than you. Let's have a theological discussion. I went to seminary. I know about this argument about worship. Well, why don't you settle this for us here? You know, where do we worship? I mean, there's this argument going on, and there's, you know, one seminary says one thing, another people say another thing, and like, it's so convenient that you're here Because I would have gone home having no idea who's right about this theological controversy. Right? What is she doing? She's changing the subject. Right? Why is she doing that? Answer? Her shame. And it's the same reason, by the way, that you are not praying like this. It's the same reason that you're changing the subject with God. Right? The same, like, why, why, doesn't she, why doesn't she keep Jesus on topic? Why isn't she like, no, no, Jesus, back to, the, back to the water, back to this living water, back to blessing, back to joy? I, you know, yes, tell me what I have to do with my husbands. Tell me what I have to do with everything. Let's, you know, blessing, blessing, blessing. No, 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 turn your head back here. Why isn't she keeping him on topic? Why is she trying to get him off topic? Answer, shame is extraordinarily powerful, friends. It's the same reason that it keeps you and I back from praying uh, just like this. 
Let me give you a couple quotes from uh, this book that I do commend to you. Here's the first one. What is shame? Shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated uh, with you. You feel exposed and humiliated, or to strengthen the language, you are disgraced because you acted less than human. You were treated as if you were less than human, or you were associated with something less than human, and there are witnesses. And then another one that's helpful uh, to the present topic at hand. He says this, he said from the same book, says, you would think that anyone would jump at the chance to escape shame. But that isn't the way it happens. Those shamed people are happy to guide others out of their dark prisons. They are always sure to get back to their own prisons by nightfall. That's home. That's what they are used to. Tim Keller posted a really uh, depressing statistic on Twitter the other night. Absolutely depressing. It was a survey comparing friendship from 1990 to 2020. Okay, it was a statistic on friendship and loneliness from 1990 to 2020, and it was showing this trend as to what's happening in our culture on the issue of friendship. And this is what it's showing. It's saying, as a culture, broadly speaking, we are becoming profoundly more lonely people right? COVID has accelerated this as it has accelerated all things, right? COVID has not slowed really a whole lot down. It's accelerated everything. But we are becoming profoundly more lonely people. And let me pull up this statistic here for you. This is, this is awful. In 1990, 3% of men answered the survey question as saying they had zero close friends. 3%, which is pretty small, right? You know, there's always some weird people, Granted, right, there's always, there's always a couple, you know. Guess how many in 2021? 15%. Look at that change. What about the women? Right, women are, are better at making friends, I think. Well, they are. In 1990, 0% of women answered the question that they had zero close friends. Want to know what the number is in 2021? 10%. 10% of women say they have zero close friends. And if you look at all the percentages, the change is dramatic. So, for example, in uh, the case of men, back in 1990, 40% of men said they had 10 or more close friends, right? 40% of men say, I have 10 or more close friends. 2021, that number has shrunk to 15%. Right? Uh, in the case of women, it went from 28% to 11 But all across every category, there's this profound change. What it's saying is we are becoming more isolated and more lonely. And one of the reasons I think that that is the case is because we are becoming a people with more shame and, and really less antidote to shame. Right? This is a topic that I talked about on Easter. Right? As, our, as our culture becomes further distanced from Christian faith as it is, the consequence of that happening is, is that we become further distanced from any sense of forgiveness. And when you become distanced from forgiveness and you happen to be a sinner, the necessary consequence is you begin to carry the weight of your sin and your shame. And the net result, I think, is what we're seeing is 
more loneliness, less friendship, right? And friends, the message of this passage, one of the messages, there's several here, one of the messages of this passage is that there is a way to escape that reality through the gospel of Jesus Christ and through a Christian community. And that is my heart and soul for every single one of you for these kids.